Hey guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have Mike Isretel on. We do a bit of a Q&A, digging into what he's currently doing in terms of his nutrition and training and how his mass phase is currently going. That leads us into a bit of a discussion about why he actually decided to go down the uh, special sports supplement route, and that was a very insightful chat that I think many of you will enjoy, and we get into a bit of a Q&A. So guys, I think you'll really enjoy this. As ever, please do remember to share this, like the video, uh, give us a comment, all that good stuff, give us a rating over on Spotify, be very much appreciated so we can grow the podcast as much as possible, reach as many ears as possible and continue to invest lots into the podcast. So guys, let's get into the episode. Talk to you soon. Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always and today I have Mike Isretel back on the show for a Q&A. He is not facing off anyone. It feels like a while since not facing off. It makes it sound like you're like battling people, but it was more of a discussion as ever. Um, people really enjoy those. So I'm sure those will go down really well. And yeah, Mike, how are things? I know the last I saw, I think I saw a photo of you, 250 pounds. Are you still 250 or are you moved? Your, you, that was probably a month ago or something. I am, as of this morning, 241.8. Ah. So are, we, are you dieting now then? No? Uh-huh. A lot of fluctuations as a result of special sports supplements and deloads and all this other stuff. So the question of how much do you weigh, you know, it's, as you get, as I get more experience, I've already had plenty in the special sports supplements realm, bodybuilding and body weights. You start to understand more and more why a lot of pros don't even post their weight yeah. um, or they say actively, they just don't care how much they weigh because, um, it really is. It fluctuates so much. It's it's good to have a general framework and guidepost, but like I, I posted before, I was like 245, and then two days later, I'm 241. And it's just body weight, like body water. That's all it is. And tons of people will be like, oh my God, you lost four pounds? Like, Jesus, isn't that like a 5,000 calorie deficit per day? And I'm like, oh my God. So that's where I'm at. But gaining muscle, I'm the strongest I've ever been. I'm, uh, here's something interesting, asking how I am. I'm starting to encounter a problem that I, began for me in my last mass phase before the last show, but now has just gotten much worse. Um, I used to love to do pretty close grip, narrow grip pull downs. I can't really do those anymore because at the top, at the stretch, which I like to milk slow anyway, my um, shoulders and neck are so big now that I'm choking myself. Like it's a blood choke, like a triangle choke in jiu-jitsu. So I start to kind of pass out at the top and I'm like, Jesus Christ, like um, I can't do any overhead tricep work because my shit just doesn't bend like that. I can't do free squats anymore because my everything, like this is the farthest my arm goes because my oh, biceps wow. physically in the way. I, I, I can't get into a squat position. Um, I have to use modified bars. Um, so my, my training over this past little while, past few months, mass gaining after the show has been a combination of like, I pull my shirt off after like a push pump and I'm like, oh my God. At the same time, I'm like, I don't even like being in this body anymore. It, it feels like I'm wearing like like a crap load of thick coats all the time. <laughs> and I have to train in those thick coats. So yeah, that's how I'm feeling. Mass gaining is fun. Yeah, I can't even, I don't know who I was saying to the other day, but I think like Charlie posted his weight as well. Like, and he was 270. I was like, that's yes. almost literally almost a hundred pounds heavier than me. I'm not. 170 i'm what 10 pounds heavier but i was just like i can't even imagine like i had a weighted vest and that was 10 kilos yeah. and walking around with that was a like 
that was a chore, let alone yeah. flipping it. Like just having so it's uncomfortable. Yeah, I can't even imagine. It's crazy. It's, uh, uh, but the, yeah, I was Sorry, just going to say the body weight thing is uh, really interesting because I spoke to Joe Jeffrey. I had him on the podcast and kind of talking about tracking, monitoring progress. And I was like, I, I seen natural guys quite often doing like weekly photo check ins, and I don't understand it. And I was like, has this come from? The enhanced side because that is much more effective in tracking progress it was like yeah it's for naturals like i don't see why you would be doing that unless you're in the final weeks before i like, step you on stage but for enhanced guys like the scale is less helpful um than photos would be in that scenario yeah and i'd also say like weekly photos like i'm charlie's coach and we do weekly photos during a fat loss phase for contest prep but we don't do you know, I see him on Instagram. I know what his physique looks like roughly on a mass gain. I don't even know what weekly photos would really do on a mass gain. Maybe every two weeks you could inform some decision making, but weekly photos, you know, it'd be like, hey, did you like have Chinese food last night? Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> That's why you're bloated, maybe, or maybe we're pushing the calories too high. Who knows, right? So even even weekly photos, um, I don't know. And there's this whole other thing where. Uh, I think a lot of like update progress photos, high frequency have often been asked of female clients by male coaches. And yeah. uh, sometimes for reasons that are not that fun, uh, well, you know, fun for the male coach, not as fun for the female athlete when she realizes, but um, you know, I would say anyone who asks you for, for anyone listening, anyone who asks you for weekly update picks, you just ask them why. And if they give you a very convincing answer, sweet. If they give you an answer, that's like, just do it. Cause I said, maybe reconsider yeah no i think that's that's very well said and i guess that you if someone was thinking oh so how do you guide your off season in terms of like rate of gain and stuff i i assume i won't speak for you but you kind of have to trust that you've done the calculations pretty correctly and yeah. just kind of go with it so i have a lot of data for myself and this is something actually charlie john got me into doing much more than i was it's very, very fine-tuned tracking, exact or, or as, as precisely as we can, macros, daily, calories, and steps, and body weight. And what I do is I have entire mass phases now and fat loss phases and maintenance phases where I have all those numbers in front of me. And so I kind of know what my surplus target should be to gain a certain amount of weight. It's very, pretty friggin' precise. And I just run that. And if after two weeks, it seems like I really am not gaining any weight, um, which happened to me a little while back, I increase by five, 250 to 500 calories and then do the process again. Cool thing is if I get a little too fat, I can tell. And then I just back off. And if I am not gaining weight or strength at a pace that I expect, I can increase the calories and go from there. So it's really kind of the same process you would as a natural. It's just more, more statistical noise. Uh, and as it takes a little longer, maybe instead of making decisions that are meaningful every week, as an enhanced athlete, you maybe make them every two weeks, which in the grand scheme means diddly dick, as James Hoffman would say, but it doesn't, it's all the fucking same. You can make good decisions every month. And as long as you're not like way off the rails, it's totally fine. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, really look into like even daily fluctuations and it's like, dude, what are you doing? What, what are you doing? It's just a total waste of time. So yeah, the enhanced side is, you know, more tricky in that sense, but all the ba basic same general principles apply. Like if you really gaining too much fat too fast you'll figure it out sooner or later and if you're really just not gaining any muscle you'll figure it out sooner or later but like and it's also not one checklist it's not just body weight it's not just appearance 
it's body weight and appearance and how you feel and gym performance. And if body weight is generally trending up, appearance looks okay, but you're getting like stronger for reps steadily, you're fucking golden. Even if you're just getting stronger for reps and body weight's not seemingly cooperating much in appearance, you can't tell. I see you're still fucking golden. You're eating lots of food, taking plenty of gear, and you're getting stronger for reps. As Broderick would say, life is good. You're winning. And maybe if you're real skeptical about the body weight and you don't think it's water fluctuation based, then increase the calories by a bit and reevaluate two weeks. So I'd say that's probably the best way to do it. It's, it's very easy to freak out. And a lot of people, when they transition from natty to enhanced, you know, the, the first real nasty enhanced fluctuation of weight, they go, oh my God, I'm doing everything wrong. That was like the first 10 years of my bodybuilding career. Right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's always pay, it pays to be patient and to just use multiple measures at the same time. You don't have to trust the process because the process is completely open to you. Um, you know, you don't have to trust logic. You just have to examine it and be like, oh, it's true. Uh, you don't have to be like, you don't have to have faith in the process. You can trust it in the sense that you know all the input variables, you know they're aligned pretty damn well, and you just do a good job until you think you're not doing a good job and then you readjust. Well said. Yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, trust the process is a, a bit of a weird saying because often it is used in that context where it's like, there's nothing, like you don't have to trust it. It is, that is what yeah. it is. Like you, yeah. there is no, like you're not doing anything, like yeah. risking anything. It's like trusting your car's speedometer. Like, yeah, yeah, you're going <laughs> yeah. 100 kilometers an hour. That's it. You don't, you don't have to trust it at all. Hopefully it's not broken. That's all we can say. Uh, actually on the point of uh, kind of special sports supplements, someone actually did ask um, kind of what, what made you go down that path? I never actually heard you talk about kind of, the initiation of that process. So if you're open to uh, yeah, that yeah, question. Sure. Two factors. Um, uh, two, maybe three. Factor number one is back when myself and a few of my friends were coming up, uh, natty, everything just sort of didn't exist in the spotlight at all. And it was all about enhanced. Like the people in the magazines weren't natty. It's kind of all you had was magazines and major websites and so you kind of thought like once you get big and jacked enough, you just, that's just the next step you take, right? So it was like, if you're serious, you know, you go and, and do drugs. So that's number one, not a very good reason. Uh, and the, the landscape sure has changed since then, where if you want to stay natty, there's tons of avenues of exposure and all this other stuff. It's really great to see. Factor number two is um, there. If you examine the issue quite closely, there's a very good argument that becoming enhanced has zero moral qualms at all. And the corollary of that is that a lot of people who take a moral righteousness in being natural just haven't thought it through. Um, they'll say things like, I used to say shit like this when I was natural, because for a long time I planned on never being enhanced. When someone asked me back in the day when I was already big and strong, Addy, you know, well, you ever do drugs? And I said, no. And I said, why? And I said, well, because I, I want the gains to be mine. What the fuck does that mean? Technically, the gains all belong to like the chicken and beef I'm eating. So that's literally <laughs> what I'm made of. Um, and so, you know, sleep specific amounts, take, it's funny because this happens in Natty bodybuilding a ton. You ask a Natty guy like, hey, what supplements are you on? He lists a fucking laundry list of bullshit legal crap that doesn't work. It, every possible attempt to engineer the physique short of the shit that actually works, but it's all fucking chemicals going in and going out. Like, okay. 
So that you know, after you really think that through, outside of the legal aspect, which legality and morality don't align 100% remotely, you know, for my, my morality, if I'm not hurting anyone else, it's probably fine to do. Um, you know, like uh, there's all, all sorts of things that are illegal uh, that are quite moral. And through history, there have been tons of things that are illegal. Let's just talk about like uh, the Jim Crow laws of the South. Like, like, oh, you're black, you can't enter this establishment. Like, what? Why? Well, there's no really good reason. Just like, hate you guys for whatever, you know, like, this is nonsense, right? So legality doesn't really mean a ton in that regard. So I was able to circumvent that quite quickly. And when I realized that there was morally nothing keeping me from doing it, the the other big thing was a realization of sort of two other things. One, the enhancement is the use of science at its highest level to achieve as much as possible. Um, you know, like uh, the drugs are chemicals. And if you know chemistry really well and you're a fucking nerd, gee whiz, like that's the, the pinnacle of nerdhood. Um, it's funny because a lot of natty, the natty crowd today kind of glorifies the nerd, like the quintessential natties, like the fucking nerd bodybuilder. And the, the bros are all drug user idiots. And there's definitely something to that, but that doesn't have to be. Um, you know, nerds don't have to choose to be drug free. One does not follow from the other. I think that if you're nerdy, and you really want to get as jacked as possible, why, why wouldn't you use chemistry? Well, what's wrong with chemistry? Because everything's right about chemistry. It's like literally engineering a physique with as many inputs as possible. And, and the last reason is um, there's something artistic and something really cool and mystical about taking yourself into the rarefied air of the beyond, maybe playing with the idea that not all of us is super safe. You know, when you're getting under a 400-pound squat drug-free, that's not also ultra safe. You take risks all the time. And if you can take risks to present something truly exotic that you're really proud of, uh, that to me sounds pretty cool. You know, like um, astronauts go to the fucking moon and shit and orbit the earth. That's so fucking dangerous. We don't consider that immoral. <laughs> um, we consider it laudable. So like when I take a look at like Jay Cutler or Ronnie Coleman's physique, it's almost like looking up at Mount Olympus and be like, Jesus, they're really pushing it, which is dangerous. It's risky and that's not great, but it's also so cool that they're willing to take like a Formula One driver. You can tell a Formula One driver, listen, what are you doing? These cars go too fast. You're going to fucking die. Why don't you just go race go-karts that have bumper plates on them and you can't die? Uh, yeah, that, that's cool. For people that want to do it, it's fine. But, you know, a Formula car driver, I think they know that it's it's that limits of speed that when the engine's like super crazy and you're making turns at right angle turns at 90 miles an hour like that's why you're there is to push the limits so there's a there's a lore there's a mystique of enhancement to really you know what happens if i go further beyond it's go, it's goku and vegeta and gohan deciding to go into the time chamber the time chamber is not a safe place most people don't even make it in there and a lot of people just go insane and it's, what is it what is it beyond those doors why would i want to go there that's the mystique and enhancement has that mystique to it so to me the fact that, you know, I was in the culture where enhancement was just kind of the next thing you did. And also because I didn't see any moral qualms with it. And also because it's fucking nerdy, which is cool. And also because it, it allows me to sort of uh, do to myself what I consider a pursuit of the exotic. You know, I'll check all those boxes. You know, Ta-da. <laughs> and on the net balance, a fine decision. Would I repeat the enhancement if I had another go at life as a... Um, that's a whole other long question I won't bore you with, but 
Uh, all sorts of correct answers to that. Some of them no, some of them yes, some of them maybe, some of them differently. Uh, I'm sure they do a lot of things differently, but it's definitely not something that I regret. Um, and like, if I have a huge heart attack tomorrow and die, uh, and you somehow revive me and revive stronger, uh, and say, hey, do you, do you regret it now? Uh, the answer will almost certainly still be no, because my regret is based on a forward-looking estimate of how fucked I'm going to be from all the shit. Um, I don't regret it even if it goes bad because I've integrated that into my regret calculus already. It's not like, oh, I don't regret it because I'm, oh, I'm doing real well financially and I'm famous for being jacked. And you know, if I like get a blood clot tomorrow and I'm paralyzed the rest of my life, I'm like, oh, now I regret it. Like, no, no, I know that stuff can happen and I still don't regret it. Um, so, yeah. Mike, I'm sold. Shoot me up. That's it. <laughs> Boom. Giant, Elon Musk size you- <laughs> rocket. Oh, dear. You were as you were talking through. I was like, "Yeah, I mean, I can see. I can like, I, I, I can definitely see the appeal there." And people have asked me before, like, "Why have you stayed natural, or whatever?" And it's funny you mentioned the first thing, which was your environment. And I, I always say, like, quite honestly, it's not like some like hippy dippy reason that I'm like I'm natural and that's the the best way. It's literally environment. Like, I had no one in my environment who went down that path, so it's just like. I was so deep into it. I'd already competed as a natural and kind of like when I was coming up, that's when Matt Ogus was like getting big and 3DMJ were getting really big. So then I just fell into that path. So I, I, yeah, I respect that because like you said, when it's I was not coming necessary. up, Matt Ogus was 13. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I can definitely see that um, for sure. Yeah, like, but just to make sure this doesn't get taken without some grain of salt, and there's other videos that are on our YouTube channel at RP that, that cover this in quite depth and more to come, especially on the negatives. Um, yeah, the, that's the romantic view of enhancement. The not romantic view is the shit, the real world shit you have to deal with. Uh, the discomfort is injecting drugs is very annoying. It's never, ever not annoying. It, you never really get used to it. You get used to it somewhat and it's always just blows constant concern about your health. And the worst part to me is the psychological effects. Uh, I'm particularly sensitive, just to anabolics in general. Uh, so I've been told by Joe Jeffrey and Roderick Chavez, among others, um, I run relatively low doses, but I get a lot out of them. But also I get some of the nasty side effects and the worst one by far are the psychological side effects. So if I'm on higher doses, I'm literally dumber. Like just in the sense of if I, I every now and again, I take IQ tests for fun. Roderick, I think, and, and I have that in common. And uh, it's notable on the tests, uh, and it's notable in my daily attempt to think about things, uh, especially at the depth of my analysis is impacted. If I'm off cycle or on TRT or on low doses, I just feel fucking brilliant, and I come up with a bunch of really great ideas and think them through. When I'm on uh, harder doses, I just kind of sit there, and I'm like, ugh, it feels terrible. And I'm still intelligent enough to be aware of the fact that I'm less intelligent. So it's doubly terrible. Uh, that's not the worst part. Uh, luckily, it's mostly transient. I don't think there are super long-term intelligence degrading effects, although that remains to be seen. Uh, there could be some. Uh, for me, the worst part is the anxiety. I get really, really unfortunate anxiety. Uh, and if people ask, like, anxiety about what? Well, that's the thing about uh, pharmacogenic anxiety is just, just, just the feeling. Um, just imagine you're really worried and you have no idea why. And then you're like, oh, it's okay. And then three seconds later, you're just as worried again. All the time. I'll wake up at night to go pee. And I'm like, oh, uh, uh, okay, 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 I'm fine. Typical, typical when I'm on higher doses. It's not fun. It's not fun. And actually, for this last mass phase, and I think I have another eh, three to four years left in the sport. 
And I'm actually, uh, I think I'll enjoy retirement because I'm just about done with the psychological effects because uh, they're just, it's just not fun. The, the silver lining is that, um, uh, I, I'm, big, I'm big on this anyway, but by putting myself into artificially very um, anxiogenic environments or just high anxiety environments, I'm able to work on my mindfulness and presence and my calm. It's kind of like uh, overload resistance training. Like you put yourself in a very tough environment at the gym so that regular life is easy. So when I'm, I used to be uh, not super high anxiety, but like, you know, average anxiety when I was drug free. Uh, and then now when I come off, I'm like a fucking saint. You could punch me in the face and I'd be like, oh, thanks, man. I feel pain. And it's great that I get to feel it um, because I practice so much bringing myself back into the fold of calm at these higher doses when it's difficult. And so I have to practice. I have to learn, execute and practice over and over mindfulness techniques so I treat it as kind of an overload. Um, another way to say that, I think my 40s are going to be pretty sweet if I'm still alive because I'll be super calm and happy all the time. <laughs> and so, intelligent. And even smarter, Mike, maybe. <laughs> marginally, still still intelligent enough to, to make some contributions to the field, hopefully. That makes, it makes a lot of sense, those aspects. And I think it's really good that you talk about them because I don't think they're widely spoken. And also, I think people often are ignorant to it, especially when they first potentially go that way. They're just like, yeah, just get big and jacked. It's like, uh, for every yes. gimme, there's a gotcha. Oh yeah, yeah, it's not a magic pill or magic needle. Just like everything great and nothing, you know, if he's ever open to talking about it, you have Jared Feather on, he'll tell you about all sorts of other side effects he, he gets that I don't even get. Oh, wow. um, it was just terrible, terrible stuff. And a, a lot of the times when you see the top pros, and you ask, okay, why are they the top pros? Is it because they know something? Maybe. Is it because they have great genetics? Definitely. Uh, is it because they're really hard workers? Almost certainly. Is it because they respond well to the drugs just by a random genetic luck of the draw? Yeah, almost almost definitely. Something that I've heard through the grapevine about Ronnie Coleman was that there's kind of no amount of drugs you could give him to where he was like, mm -hmm, I can't do this anymore. He was like, oh, this is fine. His blood work was pretty good. <laughs> and psychologically, he seemed great. You know, like Ronnie only has one yeah. Ronnie mood, which is like the nicest person of all time, all the time. And he just responded really well to the drugs, whereas some people, who I know for a fact, because he's been open about this, uh, Keon, Peer, uh, Keon Pearson, is that his last name? The Keon Prodigy, it's the only way I know yes, his name yeah. through Instagram. He's uh, abandoned at least one prep because he just couldn't handle the up here. And, and I'm not judging him by a million miles. I'm like, dude, handle your shit. But psychologically, take all the time you need. Fucking quit the sport. You already did so much. You're great. He seems like a really nice guy. It, because people get into it, and they're like, oh, time to do trend or whatever. And then trend does you back much harder than you do it. And then you're like, fuck this. So there's there's a lot, a lot there uh, that people don't see. And luckily, folks like Keon, every now and again, he's mentioned it in passing. Most people don't actively talk about it. Because like, look, if you're the one who's affected by it a lot, and you get crazy anxiety and paranoia, and, uh, and trend also specifically, um, higher gear in general, but trend more than others seemingly. And this is something Roderick uh, has uh, also noted, gives you the, uh, not everyone, right? And there's a spectrum, normal distribution of how exposed people are to this, but it gives you this um, a desire to quit. And when you ask what, quit what, the answer is everything. <laughs> All the way to suicidal Life. thoughts. Right. <laughs> like I've never actually had suicidal thoughts, but I know people who have on Tren and Ment and other crazy drugs like that. And the suicidal thoughts are very extreme and very rare. But you, you do get this idea that you just, you just don't want to fucking be here anymore. Like, I want to quit bodybuilding, quit eating, quit taking drugs, quit all of it. Fuck all this. And it's just like, um, you know, when you're hungry and tired on a contest prep, eh, it's tough to deal with emotions like that. So it, it either makes you mentally stronger uh, over time 
to be in this whirlpool of bullshit and try to swim your way out, or it can wear you down. And then sometimes you need a break or you just back the fuck up altogether. So when people say like, oh yeah, I'm done with drugs, I'm done with bodybuilding or whatever, I almost never, you know, if I was drug free, I'd be like, fuck pussy, you know? <laughs> but um, now that I know how the other side of the coin, how, how the other side lives, I'm like, yeah, that's probably a really good reason for that. You know, or maybe he is, maybe that guy is bitch made, he just couldn't handle it. But maybe he's dealing with some shit up here that's just like way too much. Hey, Pascal here. I just wanted to take the moment to talk about our membership site. Inside, you'll find a thriving forum, an extensive exercise library, courses, presentations, and research reviews. All I need you to do is hit the link in the description below and sign up. See you there. Yeah, I think that's so well said because I think a lot of naturals will think, oh, and just the general population will be like, oh, steroids, you're going down the easy route. And I'm thinking what you're saying there. And I'm like, I've got it easy. Like, I just got to deal with my normal emotions and like being hungry and like what that brings, let alone the exogenous side. Yeah, I, I would say um, uh, a really uh, decent analogy off the top of my head of describing steroids as the easy route is um, uh, the idea that, you know, if you think of bodybuilding as driving to a location, driving a regular fast sports car is natural and you get there in 20 minutes and you, you know, don't follow the speed limits, but you know, you go 120, 130 miles an hour or something like that. Uh, steroids, the equivalent of just doing that in a formula car, you'll get there faster or you'll die. <laughs> and operating a formula car is really hard. The driving it is all the shit's different. The fucking thing, the chance the engine just blows up and kills you is much higher. The amount of protection you have is lower. The whole thing, it is like all of those formula drivers, they have it easy. Like, I don't think easy is the right term. Yes, if you have to get to grandma's house that's 20 miles away, they can get there faster. And if that's all they have to do, like, is there are guys that juice up and just never compete, never push their physiques to the limit, sell themselves as natty, walk around the club with puffed chest. Yeah, they are kind of taking a shortcut. So it is easier to gain that muscle in a short time than it is to struggle as a natty for years getting it. But that's the equivalent of like taking your formula car and driving it to grandma's house. Like, okay, yeah, it's not a very high pressure race. The real way I think spiritually at least you're supposed to use enhancement is it's, it's this dark gift that you treat with care and that you really push the promise of it. So you gotta, you gotta push it, which means if you're taking gear, you had better be going fucking 90 degree angle, 90 mile an hour turns. And then it's not easy anymore. It's really hard, way harder than driving to grandma's house in a, in a regular sports car, way more downsides, way more risks. But yeah, like, you know, if you get to places earlier and tell people you drove a sports car and you hide your formula car in the parking lot, you're a fucking liar. Yeah, it's a definitely a shortcut. But if you're using enhancement the way I, I like to think it should be used, it's not a shortcut at all. It's a very long cut to a place you simply can't get naturally. And it's harder. It's harder. I trained for 12 years drug-free. Training on, on gear, living on gear is harder in almost every way except for one. And that is when you do this and you want more reps and weight, it, 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 it's more reps and weight. Get on the bar. And then you do this. You're like, oh my God, I'm more muscular. That is the only two ways in which it's easier. You look better than your training performance. Everything else sucks dick. So I think that's how I see it anyway. Yeah, well said. No, I think that analogy works really well when you talk through it. It makes complete sense. And something that actually springs to mind um, when you talked about this a little bit is people often say like success leaves clues. Yet you spoke about there like <laughs> maybe people are looking at the wrong 
like clues for someone's success at like I don't know they, a clear example in the UK at least is like Dorian Yates was a very good bodybuilder like loads of UK bodybuilders lots of natural bodybuilders look up to him like success leaves clues I should be doing what Dorian does and um, same like you could look at like natural pros and be like well like genetics are a big part of that like how many how many clues can you get from these people i think it's it's a tricky one because there will be people that just like will follow what that person does because they're just like well clearly they know what they're doing because they're there yeah you gotta be real careful about it you know uh an interesting mental exercise not not to disparage anybody remotely is to ask you know okay so like um doug miller in his prime versus eric helm who wins bodybuilding show doug miller by a long shot right and eric helm's I'm personally a huge fan of his physique. I think it's just like Eric Helms, when he's in like close to contest shape, it's like I think like almost every guy would just want to look like that all the time. It's like a superhero physique, like in, in, in legit sense. But Doug Miller's a freak, right? He's natural, whatever. We, you know, a bunch of the insults of drug Miller or whatever. Like, like I know like 10 black guys in Detroit that are just as jacked as Doug, except they don't even lift weights. So that whole thing of like there has to be drugs is just total bullshit to begin with. Maybe he's on drugs. I'm very willing to believe he's not. So in any case, you know, Doug Miller has these enormous arms. Right. And, and people will be like, Doug Miller, huge arms. I should train like Doug. And then they look at Eric Helms. Like, Eric Helms has very big arms, but for the rest of his physique and compared to Doug's, they're not uh, a standout. It's okay. Well, Eric Helms definitely doesn't know how to train arms, and, and Doug does. If you had to list all the things about hypertrophy that we do know, Eric Helms doesn't know maybe 1% of them and knows the 99% unbelievably well, better than almost anyone. And so, if I'm asking someone for advice on how to get big arms, Eric Helms is like top five list of people. I don't give a fuck how big his arms are. He just knows his fucking shit. And so you say, well, how come Doug Miller has bigger arms? Like, well, you think it's because of what he knows? Not. Doug may very well be a very intelligent person. He likely, likely is. Is is he as introspective and as educated and uh, and um, as erudite as Eric Helms in, in bodybuilding? I would bet a considerable amount of money that's not the case. Again, not to disparage anybody. Just Eric Helms, that's who he is. He is a fucking expert, right? So if you look at you know, Doug Miller's arms, you look at Eric Helms, you're like, I'm going to do what Doug Miller does. Like you have committed a fallacy and the fallacy is misunderstanding cause and effect. And Doug Miller is, has big arms because he generally knows what he's doing. Super dedicated. He trains fucking hard. He eats well and he has fucking unbelievable genetics. Eric Helms has all the rest of that shit in spades, except probably way more knowledge. And uh, he just doesn't have amazing genetics for arms, uh, you know, and uh, it's very, very easy. And again, and another thing, just uh, while we're on the subject, uh, sample sizes of one, I generally, um, uh, you know, success leaves clues. I would say a sample size of one is like a clue and not a direct indicator of what you should be doing. Uh, remember, you know, you don't get convicted usually in court on like one clue. It has to be kind of a confluence of evidence all pointing to the same thing. So, you know, like Dorian Yates, he was jacked, correct? Okay, uh, it's because he did like low reps and went close to failure. Okay, how, how do you know that? Right. Well, well, Dorian, he was big and he did that. Like, okay, Dorian did trillion other things and had his own genetics and et cetera. Show me uh, another hundred guys that train with low reps and uh, super heavy weight and real close to failure. And uh, do they all look like Dorian or do they look more like Dorian? And you look at all the 90s bodybuilders that challenged Dorian at various times, sometimes, sometimes losing very controversial decisions at the Olympia. Ke Kevin Lavrone, uh, Chris Cormier, uh, tons of other guys, Sean, uh, what's his name? Sean Ray. Um, they all, almost all trained with RIR, though they didn't call it that. They really never went to true grinding failure super often. They did multiple sets uh, all the time of relatively higher reps. And uh, they were generally 
as jacked and lean and aesthetic as Dorian Yates. There was like 10 of them. And Dorian was the only one that was doing his kind of training generally. And they were doing all, all the quote unquote 90s training. So how come you're not training like them? Because they never won the Mr. Olympia? Like, do you really think that's what did it is the training? Like if there was like all the top guys or most of them were doing something and then they were all at the top, you could say, okay, yeah, now I'm a little bit more convinced. For example, the use of growth hormone in bodybuilding. Um, I was a, a member of a forum. I probably still am on Facebook. I, I leave the forum nameless. There's a, a hilarious interaction there where there's a bunch of actual pros and a bunch of like bros that are sort of jacked and big, but you know, like mostly just like talk shit on the internet. And uh, there was a conversation where people were talking about growth hormone and they were like, yeah, growth hormone is just an overpriced fat burner. And then uh, I think uh, Ian Valier was tagged and got in a conversation. They're like, isn't that right, Ian? And he's like, no. <laughs> and they're like, but like, so like, what does growth hormone gives you? And he's like, a lot. And they're like, well, you know, why don't you just like use orals and stuff for that size? He's like, I don't use orals in the off season. And they were like confused. And it's like, look, if almost every, if not every top bodybuilder is using growth hormone, and you know, I'm going to have to say like, it's at least worth looking into. But if one guy out of a generation trains in a certain way and happens to, you know, do very well, are you really so sure it is his training? And if you are, I don't know, logic might be escaping at the moment. And I think it's like, okay, Ronnie Coleman was even better than Dorian, objectively, more jacked, leaner, stronger, uh, everything. One more Olympias. We want to train like Ronnie? Word up. How's Ronnie doing? Here's another, here's another mindfuck. Are we so sure that Ronnie's current injuries are because of his training? Maybe he was just genetically predisposed to them. Tons of guys train way dumber than Ronnie, and they're still fucking walking around, still training just like that. So it's very, very difficult to make conclusive inferences off of sample size of one fucking person. Don't do it. Don't do it. And, and a lot of times at that level, people are by definition exceptional. So not only are you not inferring yeah. off of a general representative rule, you're, you're, you're reasoning off of exceptions. It's like, it's like going you know, to a place where aliens are all five feet tall and one of them is seven feet tall. And you generally examine the alien diet. And you look at the seven foot guy. You're like, this is what got you to seven feet. You're like, well, hold on a second. He's the only guy at seven feet. Maybe, the, maybe you need to have a couple more guys that are seven feet to see if they have any commonalities before reasoning. The shit like that is like, yeah, just think about it a little before, you know, not riding your way into doing dumb shit. I guess that's my quick summary of that. Yeah, I think you've you've said before, I think it was with you, Mike, where we've spoken about it a little bit, where you can look at an individual who maybe is like got that great physique that you're looking into and see what you can take from it. How thoughtful are they about their training? Do they have good answers or do they just kind of say like, it works for me or like, I don't know, like, do they actually have thought behind the process? And if they do, then that's kind of gives you a bit more clues into like for yourself, for Charlie, for Jared, like you're all incredibly jacked, but you think about what you're doing to the level that like anyone would ever aspire to. So that gives you a lot of faith. Whereas there's other people just your size who don't have that and they probably got there very differently to you. Uh, who would you follow? <laughs> oh, right. It, it, it's also like, you know, there are ways to get big that are translatable, like use these drugs, train like this, eat like this. And then there's genetics and just generally training for 20 years, which should be, the training thing should be obvious. Like if, you know, it's so trippy too, because people are like, I love Dorian because he trained hard. Like, do you have a problem training hard? Do you need extra motivation to train hard? Is training hard something you thought you could get away without like doing? You're like, oh yeah, I used to try to train like a pussy. But then I got to see Dorian and he really pushed it. And I really turned it up. Like, 
the fuck is wrong with you? You're supposed to be training hard from day one. So after you get rid of genetics and shit like training hard for 20 years, which you're supposed to be doing already, how much more explanatory uh, variance is covered by like the other shit? And if it's not a lot, then maybe you shouldn't just be copying that other shit because maybe it doesn't have dick to do with what's going on. And maybe you'd want to see a bit more justification for that shit, a bit more than just one or two people using that shit and so on down line it's almost like asking and this is typically it's so funny because it happens all the time like um a big big rainy uh, people always critique me because it's, it's a very Mich- michigan american accent when i say rainy rami what is it in arabic mamdu elsbiai it's probably uh, wow. poorly pronounced but be- better than most uh fucking you know, white people or whatever would say but <laughs> uh, you know the, me <laughs> right there you go well, you know the, the, the british are conquerors they're not expected <laughs> to pronounce anything we'll, we'll give you a name you, you'll not call yourself so um here's the thing you know people ask like oh my god like I, uh, what does he do for quads like do you think that by altering your training in a certain way you're going to get quads like him you your fucking mind his quads are the size of his fucking torso like he's special very special and a lot of guys are trying to get big quads here's another thing uh, can you imagine seeing Big Ramey and um, what's his name? The Persian Wolf. Um, fuck, he took third at the Olympia. Yeah. Um, Iranian guy, um, Hadi Chupan. And uh, you look at Hadi's quads and they're just generally not as big as Ramey's. And you're, but would you really think, because you think, okay, Ramey, big quads, knows for sure some secret in training the rest of us don't. Would you meet Hadi Kupan and through his translator, he'd be like, so clearly you just don't really know what you're doing with quads. Because if you did, you'd have quads like Big Ramey. So why don't you? You just, you're dumb, just don't know what you're doing. Like, I'm pretty sure he's trying really hard. And it's just genetically, he just does not have the world's freakiest fucking quad shape like Big Ramey. But, you know, once you bring Hadi Kupan to the equation, it makes things more complicated. And it's, oh, okay, that makes sense. Maybe I shouldn't worship people for their one muscle group and ask them how they got it. But stand alone. Click on any big Ramey post of him training legs or him just in a pose. Tons and tons of questions. Like, oh my God, how do we get quads like that? Like, really, man, that's where you think the answers are. Word up. Best of luck. And I think it, it works the other way as well because I'm like, and not to say anything about Brad here, but Brad, he's not the hugest guy. Um, he was a bodybuilder back in his day as a competitor, yeah, Brad Schoenfeld, but incredibly intelligent like surrounding hypertrophy like arguably one of the most in like in the industry and like definitely one of the most i was gonna say arguably the most uh so and done tons of studies but you will literally get the guys and they're just like look at brad and be like i'm not listening to anything you're gonna say it's just like wow okay so that's how you're gonna treat it (laughs) yeah yeah sure i've i've had that experience i've uh had people that i used to call friends uh, when they realized they interacted with Brad in a, a congenial manner and, and cited his research and tried to m- sort of alter my training to reflect the state of the evidence that he described it, they're like, dude, Brad's 140 pounds. And I was just like, you know, that statement like that to- tells me you're not uh, sufficiently intelligent or educated for me to say anything more to you about this. So like, word up. That's all you get from me. Like, sweet. Yep. You're right. <laughs> Brad's an idiot. <laughs> uh, it, it's just, it's wild. Yeah. And you know, like Brad was supposed to be a skinny fucking Jewish kid and he became much more jacked than a skinny fucking Jewish kid because of shit he knew. First of all, second of all, Brad has done the preponderance of his research work and theoretical abstraction about hypertrophy after he was already retired from bodybuilding. So we're judging Brad based on what he looked like in his 30s when he knew like as much as most of us did back then, which is to say not much. He'd be the first person to tell you that. So it's kind of like, well, what if Brad went back in time and took his genetics and applied the concepts he knew now? He'd probably be much more jacked. 
would he be Mr. Olympia? No, but you got to be around bodybuilding in the real world, like actually around it in gyms and talking to people for like 20 minutes to realize like time, drugs, and genetics, not necessarily in that order, describe 90% of the variants of why this guy is big and why this guy is small. And genetics is the biggest factor of all tied with, have you been training hard for a long time? Right. And, and then drugs layer on top of that. And, you know, if you know that, then you can make much wiser decisions to do things or much wiser decisions not to automatically copy things that you see Jack people doing. But if you don't know much about it, it's very understandable how you could see an Instagram post from someone saying, hey, do this, look at my quads, they're big. And then Brad Schoenfeld saying, hey, don't, don't do that. That's not a good idea. And you're like, Brad Schoenfeld, fucking pencil, fucking pencil head professor guy who fuck needs him. Like, oh, word up. You were making a huge error. But, you know, it's understandable why you would because you're reasoning at a very, very elementary level and you haven't given it much thought. So I guess TLDR, give things some thought. Uh, and, you know, not riding is not an Olympic sport. Although if it was, there'd be a lot of really great people at it on the internet. Um, and just being like, yeah, man, fucking Dorian, blur guts. I love it. Like, sweet. You know, except Dorian's dick's not in your mouth. Maybe you could arrange for that to happen. Think a little bit. Worship people. Maybe, but maybe not. Uh, maybe look up to them. Like for me, Dorian, like is the embodiment of uh, hard effort and brutal dedication. It's fucking awesome. Am I interested in the, the particularities of his training design? No, I look at them. They're curious. I can learn something from them, but am I going to worship him for that? No. Can I worship him for what he represents as far as fucking just like British cold dungeon, grimy grinding attitude? Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. It's awesome. But maybe, maybe you can contextualize why you look up to some people and still look up to them, but maybe not copy everything they do verbatim because maybe some of it will work for you and maybe some of it won't. I wonder, Mike, just to, not to belabor the point, um, I imagine for you this won't work perfectly because as you've grown in prominence and got more jacked and leaner and better as a bodybuilder, you've also got more intelligent. So it's a bit of a tricky one, but I may, maybe Jared would be a good person to ask this because obviously he went pro and I, I just wondered if you've noticed as you've developed physically, people have been more open to listening to what you have to say. Have you noticed that? Oh, my long shot, which, yeah. which makes sense too. You know, my first show that I ever did in 2013 in New York I like just literally didn't know that estrogen or aldosterone had anything to do with body water. I didn't even know what all that shit was. And I came in like probably pretty lean, but like, I don't know, 30 pounds of excess body water, not a joke. And I looked like total dog shit. And, you know, a bunch of people, like some people even talk shit to me, like directly on the internet, right? To me, not about me, like in comment threads, like one guy specifically, I remember he was like, oh, you have like a nutrition PhD. And then he like posted a picture. He's like, why the fuck would I believe anything you have to say? And I remember I took the high road on that one, which a lot of people seem to enjoy. Uh, and I was like, well, yeah, I, I totally look like shit at that show. I will grant you that. Uh, that was a funny time. And so it kind of like took the the, the wind out of a sails. But it, it just sort of made sense why he was saying that. Because it's like, look, if you know all the shit, why aren't you fucking super lean or super jacked or whatever? And then later on, when I know just marginally a little bit more, the fundamentals of training and diet, I hardly know pretty well back then, maybe 85% of what I know now. The only thing that really changed was like contest peaking and drug protocols that I learned from Rado Chavez and um, now learning a bit from Joe Jeffrey. Uh, like that little thing made this huge impact on my physique. And now people are like, oh yeah, ask Dr. Mike how to get shredded. It's like, mm, all right. Like I don't, 
and it's funny because I think you and I actually did a few episodes about what I've learned over the past several shows where I've gotten like exponentially better each show. And like, yeah, like, you know, your crowd and a lot of my crowds, a natty crowd of just like good hearted college students that want to learn about getting jacked and they want the insight. Like, Dr. Mike, what did you do differently? And I'm like, um, I took aldactone for a week and a half and I instantly dropped visually 5% body fat. Ta-da! <laughs> like, what? That's it? Like, that's it. <laughs> and it sucks because it doesn't transfer a lot, but that's the reality is a lot of the times um, people will believe you much more when you're more jacked. And actually, uh, something I, I didn't mention is one, one reason that I, I did get into the enhancement side was because I, I, I sort of suspected I knew some things but I knew that people probably weren't going to believe me a lot if, if I didn't look as exotic as possible. Sure. Um, so, and that's one of the reasons that Jared got on uh, as well is that Jared specifically is on a mission to bury and embarrass as many IFBB pros as possible on stage so that they can realize that shutting the fuck up about dumb shit they shouldn't be speculating on is a better policy for them rather than to think that their physique extends to some kind of expertise they have about training science, diet science, drugs. Nothing, as I've seen, gets to Jared more in this world than, and I'm sorry, no name specifically, idiot fucking pros, juice to the fucking gills, wrapping up at the mouth about fucking, well, I need fucking partial reps work like this. Shut the fuck up. Now, it's easy to tell somebody to shut the fuck up, if you're a shrimpy fucking incel dude who doesn't even lift weights, nobody takes you seriously. But if you have a fucking 10 PhDs or whatever the fuck and you're ultra jacked and ultra ripped, people listen to you more. And then you can bring a little bit more of the flashlight of truth to this dark attic that is, you know, pro bodybuilding. Because uh, there's a lot of shit in pro bodybuilding that is great and the guys are super sharp and they're doing their best. And then there's a lot of it where it's just like, it's just a bunch of like borderline mentally ill people trying to assemble Jenga blocks into a fucking working air conditioning system. And it's like, what are you guys doing? And it's, uh, it's sometimes you have to go the distance with enhancement and pushing your physique and just taking it on the chin that until you are really jacked and really lean or in Jared's case, until you place well at bodybuilding shows, people won't take you seriously. And it's okay that they don't because they're operating on a very limited amount of information. Uh, could they be more open-minded? Yes. Like, you know, so for example, take, take a real interesting example. Uh, how much does Greg Knuckles know about dieting? Like you look at Greg Knuckles' physique and you're like, this uh, regular American guy here. And Greg Knuckles knows more about dieting than almost everyone. Weird, right? You wouldn't know that. And you would miss out. It's trippy too, because a lot of times, like I've like uh, unintentionally, uh, though we're like competitors or whatever in the fitness space that offering information and having apps and bullshit, I'm like, I wave the flag for Eric Trexler and Greg Knuckles a lot because I think most of the shit they say is fucking brilliant. And then sometimes people get confused when I recommend them. They're like, who are these guys? Like, really? And I'm like, yes, really, stupid motherfucker. These two people, if they got three times dumber each individually, they'd still be six times smarter <laughs> than you. Like, it, it, it's so as a person who is on the outside looking in, do you trust the super jack, super lean guys or do you if people are talking about all oh, this one nerd guy's really smart, do you just write them off? I wouldn't write anyone off. What I would do is I would examine the logical structure of the arguments and the information behind them coming from everyone. So if a bodybuilder is super ultra jacked and he says, Hey, listen, guys, I don't know a whole lot, but I know this works for me. Think about what they're saying. You know, Oh, you know, pack flies like this versus like that. 
try it in the gym. And if it like is revelatory, hey, keep it. It's great. It works. If it's like, eh, this is like a thing that doesn't even work for me or it's weird or maybe it's just works about as well as anything else. Cool. And if someone's like, hey, like here's Greg Knuckles. He knows about diet. Don't be like, whatever. He like looks like whatever. Looks like a person. And be like, oh, maybe he is a bullshit artist who's not in super amazing shape himself and he just managed to just leverage himself as an expert somehow. Or maybe he's onto some fucking really good shit. You read a couple of his articles, you're like, oh, this guy's smart as fuck. And a lot of, he says, makes a lot of sense. Maybe I'll start listening to him. So I think it's good to listen to people from all sorts of sides of the aisle and then form your own ideas about what's going on. And then eventually you'll have a cream of crop of smart bodybuilders you follow and a cream of the crop of evidence-based people that maybe aren't bodybuilder looking. And then a lot of that is like, you can get a ton of information continuously off those people. And those like categories of people that you follow, they're always up for, you know, deletion or replacement uh, or expansion. So you could say, okay, you know, this one bodybuilder, I used to think he was super smart, but now I realize he's fucking wrong about everything. You take him out of your little inner circle of people you follow and think about their ideas much. And then another guy could be coming up or you just aware of a bodybuilder or an evidence-based person like, oh, wow, like, yeah, this guy's in some really good shit. I'm going to include him. And that way you can sort of be dynamic and who you follow and who you listen to, always processing your own ideas. And then eventually you get a lot better at just discerning truth, likely truth from probable fiction. And then you just get better because at the end of the day, like most of the people watching this, they just well, fucking want to get jacked themselves or help their clients. And they, they really want to know what's really going on. You know, like dick riding, joy, and he hates is fun and all. But if you have a 55-year-old woman, you have to get her more hypertrophied. Otherwise, she'll fire you. You got to really know how the fuck hypertrophy works is yelling at her and telling you, hey, follow Dorian Yates on Instagram. And she likes scroll through. So what the fuck is this? Like, it really goes so far. So at the end of the day, if you want to actually know shit, bodybuilders who are super jacked and uh, have tons of wisdom to offer and tons of bullshit. And then evidence-based people who are maybe not so super jacked have a shitload of wisdom to offer. And sometimes they get into tangents where they just don't have the experience and they haven't been in the trenches and they say shit that doesn't actually work. So a combination of those two filtering in and out, I think is probably the best way to go and without like really putting, um, without keeping anyone outside of the realm of criticism, myself included, of course, like a lot of the shit I say uh, is there's a very decent chance it's wrong. I'm trying my best. And maybe I said a lot of smart shit. Maybe I said some dumb shit. And if I said dumb shit and I was wrong about it, like I used to say it's a good idea to gain like, one to two pounds per week um, uh, on a massing is probably really stupid and it made me really fat and that probably didn't work all that well. So I was wrong. I'm wrong all the time. But uh, I think sometimes I say shit that probably makes some sense and it's good to, you know, maybe follow me and use your own filter to sort of cobble together your likely version of reality. I think a lot of people take the easy road out and just have like their intellectual slash bodybuilder heroes. Like whatever these guys say for sure has to be true. And gee whiz, you know, you can do that. Um, and if you're lucky enough to pick somebody like Greg or Brad Schoenfeld or Matt Hanselman's, you can just be right almost all the time. Um, but I think a slightly better idea is to actually try to understand what they're saying. Have your own mental model of what's going on in the world. Use them as awesome, awesome guides. And then try to see some alternate opinions to see if you can't um, really piece together the likely truth yourself. Because then you'll actually know a ton of shit. You'll be able to on the fly infer your own alterations for example like if someone hasn't written distinctly about myo reps but they've written about load and rest times and supersets and isolation versus compound if you really learn what they've said about all the stuff you can probably infer what they think about myo reps versus being like you know like hey eric helms what do you think about myo reps and he just doesn't answer your dm you're like well i guess i just don't know anything like 
Eric's written a lot of shit. And if you learn all the shit, you can probably be like, yeah, I think Eric probably thinks my reps are great if they don't let, lead you to sacrifice a lot of your performance and you recover between them. And it's a great thing to do in a pinch if you don't have a lot of time. Because all the other shit he said probably makes sense. Like, it's much better to know shit, know your own shit, than to just like make heroes out of people and follow them. Which is not to say that they don't deserve hero status. You know, they, they sure do. But you can do, you can honor them a bit better. Because I guarantee you, if, if you come up to Greg Knuckles at a seminar and you're like, I love all your shit, man. You're the fucking best. You're just right about everything. You can you can do no wrong. He's going to be like, oh, thank you so much. But Jesus, <laughs> that's probably not true. Versus being like, hey, I think you're really smart, man. I think you're right a lot of the time. I really read your shit to learn the deep concepts that you're teaching. I think that's probably one of the more flattering things you can hear. Hi guys, Steve here. Just wanted to take a moment of your time to remind you of our online coaching service. At Revive Stronger, we pride ourselves on providing personalized service that will take your physique and knowledge to the next level. If you're interested, check the description and sign up. Yeah, no, I think that's really well said. It's um, sometimes scary to me because I think some of these groups can get very dogmatic and they do like just follow the people that are in their like group. And I can sometimes even do my, like I can feel it with sometimes with evidence based. I'm just like, I'm just going to follow these guys and try and ignore the ones that make me like, I don't know, cringe or like I just second guess their stuff. But I try, like you said, I make sure even if someone I disagree with some of their content, keep following maybe just to see if there's something there and to test my own biases, because like you said, you can learn something from almost everyone. And it's yeah, it's scary when you become dogmatic and like you just, I don't know, my circle, my crew, ignore everyone else. Yeah, it's, you know, it may work out well for you, but it may not. And you'll have no idea which way that train is going until it hits its destination. So uh, yeah, being dogmatic is uh, a very interesting shortcut. But if you really care about your results, you won't take it. So we probably have time for maybe a couple of questions because uh, I ended up derailing us quite a lot, but no, no I thought that was, that was a good discussion. And uh, This one is from John Caputo. He asked, uh, what are some burning questions in exercise science and or nutrition that you'd like to have more data on? Um, uh, yeah, he was. I have to kind of prioritize these. <laughs> Uh, what is the distinct molecular sequence between presenting tension to a muscle and hypertrophy actually occurring? We know some of it. We don't know all of it. There's another one. What kinds of pharmaceutical interventions can we design to tap into that sequence at its highest level? So, so for example, once tension is presented to a muscle, everything else after the tension detectors start to fire off is just chemistry like literally, it's just molecular machines. There is no theoretical uh, impossibility to designing drug interventions or genetic engineering that turn on those systems without any tension at all. So in 20 years, maybe, you're like, hey, doc, I don't have enough muscle. I want more muscle. He gives you a pill. You take it. Three days later, you start to get a little more hungry you wake up with a few more veins, and then three months later, you have an almost pro bodybuilder physique. Why not? Like, well, how can we possibly get jacked without tension? Well, tension is just a signaling mechanism. Tension doesn't actually make you jacked at all. It just turns on some molecular machines. Can we turn those machines on through other methods? Well, how does tension turn them on? Well, it Tension literally alters certain molecules and they behave differently. And then they tell other molecules to behave differently. Why don't we just have a drug that clips onto that molecule and just makes it behave as if there's lots of tension being presented? Like that's possible. And uh, it's been done. 
uh, really already in um, the appetite control space. So uh, semaglutide, for example, and the third and fourth generation GLP-1 agonists are essentially like sort of gut hormone modulators. Uh, you take them, they're administered by like once weekly injection. Uh, I have recently experimented with them. Uh, it's a, I, a, I only use the term miracle because it, it denigrates all the brilliant scientists putting in years of effort to make it happen. So if, if that's a miracle to you, that's a miracle to me. Miraculous, miraculous. Um, you could be deep into a contest diet. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to try them in my last contest diet. So it was brutal. I was starving to death. But um, in the post-show rebound, I had some access to semaglutide. And um, it's difficult to describe. You, you, the second day after I took the first dose of semaglutide, and by the way, it takes weeks for it to sum up to its peak doses. And this was at a dose that's one-fifth what you're supposed to hit as a peak dose. Um, uh, I was in the throes of post-contest hunger and we had, I was on a road trip and we had stopped at a gas station and I was eating a protein bar. I had like 20 protein bars the day before and 50 other types of foods, frantically shoving them in my mouth. Then I was like on my second protein bar, I, I was looking at it. I was like, do I really want to eat this? And the answer is no. And it just took my food intake and went like that. Holy fuck. And by the way, the side effects include not really oh. any side effects. Uh, you'll have GI distress if you try to eat too much. Uh, you feel a little nauseous if you try to eat too much, which is like no shit. It's like, it makes you feel like you do at the top of a mass phase, except if yeah. you dose it appropriately, anytime you want. Um, once weekly, subcutaneous injection feels almost nothing. Uh, more shit like that. That's what I want to see. More shit like that. Because it would be really cool if we learned how to train better and how to diet better. But to me, the things that are really exciting are attacking things at the molecular level, at the genomic level. Um, for example, you know, body weight control and hunger, um, there are people walking around that take the average Korean person, for example, the average Korean person does not struggle with body weight. The average Korean person may forget to eat for eight hours at a time and like feel woozy and be like, oh, ah, shit, I should eat something, have a few pieces of food and then go on for another eight hours. And they just fucking weigh 120 pounds their entire lives just because why genetics? can we take those gene sequences and alter them and modify them and have viral vectors that give you those genes if you're a person not born with them? Theoretically, yes. And in 10, 15, 20 years, hopefully on the shorter end of that, we could all have access to that. And then the obesity epidemic would be gone within a matter of months to anyone that would be interested in getting the treatment. Um, I mean, think about what happened with COVID-19. I mean, uh, COVID-19 was fucking pretty dangerous. Yeah, like, two, three or four times more dangerous than the flu. So again, I'm not like a fucking insane COVID, put on your mask forever, never go outside kind of person. That's, you know, what did like the Moderna vaccine do? It took the chances of death from COVID and it, it multiplied it by like one one hundredth or some stupid shit like that. What the fuck? And by the way, it took them like two weeks to, to design that vaccine from the time that they sequenced it. The rest was regulatory approval. What? Unbelievable. And there's all these future drugs and gene stuff is, is coming. And uh, I predict that in 20 years, fitness will probably be like a, a, a niche hobby and that most people will have the body they want just by taking certain medications or having their genes altered to just look and feel how they want, which is, which is really going to be amazing. We can all stop trying to get jacked and already be jacked and can go on to other things or some shit like that. So. I wonder 
if the hard work is removed and the uh, rarity is removed of getting such physiques will mean that people like something is something else becomes attractive <laughs> oh sure of course yeah well a, a lot of it you know i think in the in the coming years we're going to be transitioning to living our lives a lot more in the digital space and a little bit less cool. in the actual space so like in the metaverse whatever with full immersion vr you're going to look like with whoever the fuck you want to look like you know like it doesn't matter because you're in vr you can look like whatever so like the importance of the physical body may, may uh, recede to some extent and i think that's, that's probably a pretty cool thing and then you know people are going to have um, a situation where if it's stationary full immersion vr which i think eventually it will be it's going to present a problem for for medicine because people are going to be really sedentary and they're going to look to exercise for sure and good diet but they're also going to look to pharmaceutical and genomic interventions that keep them healthy even if they don't move around a lot which is going to be a really trippy thing but as far as like status and rarity and what people shoot for like yeah it'll it'll be some different stuff um you know i think a lot of times you know most of history people were just shooting for having enough food to eat at night and having a warm place to sleep can you imagine telling someone in 1700 like yeah in the uk in 2022 like the only people that don't have enough to eat or a place to sleep are like drug addicts and the mentally ill or some combination of the two and like what about like the regular average person like well they actually have so much food that um they get really fat this is too much food they'd be like what like, so what, what do people even do how do people even construct their purpose like well a lot of people find a lot of purpose of doing other things like making social media apps and they're like what the fuck is that and you're like well people seem to like it and then and then another thing is like some people actually struggle with anxiety and depression probably because they don't have a grand purpose anymore that's very apparent because um like this research has been done quite a few times in indigenous tribes have almost no anxiety and depression is it too busy trying to like fucking survive and it is is both insanely hard and quite fulfilling because it, the evolution designed us to do exactly that survive every fucking day so it's interesting about your uh, topic of like, if we can just be as jacked and lean as we want just by taking a pill, will we find ways to sort ourselves into hierarchies doing other shit? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, you know, I'm sure those, I could, we can all speculate on what those things will be, but you know, there's always wealth accumulation. You can just try to get as rich as possible, which by the way, also isn't as meaningful as it used to be. You know, it used to be like the more wealth you could have, the more proximate survival of you and your kin was going to be a thing and huge jumps in your standard of living. Like if you live in a, in a flat, is that what you guys call it? An apartment is a flat in the UK? Do you guys still yep. say that? Or is that from 1980s or shit? Yeah. Um, you know, you live in a nice flat and you make like, you know, you know, 40,000 pounds a year or something. Like if you made 400,000 pounds a year, how much better would your life really be? Like, would you be warmer at night? No. Would you have access to much higher quality food? No. Like, yeah, like, I don't know. I've been to plenty of fancy restaurants. I can't fucking even tell a goddamn difference. Like, yeah, okay, the sushi is really fresh, but all you can eat sushi in Las Vegas is pretty goddamn good too. So, you know, things, people get used to certain levels of comforts and even the race to having as much money as possible maybe makes less sense. So... A lot of cool changes ahead, mostly good, some of them difficult, but I think that the the drug revolution and the genomics revolution, especially as it impacts fitness, my humble personal prediction is that in the next 10 to 15 years, it's going to be making real, real big changes, uh, making things look very, very different. 
it just makes me think of all the i haven't watched there's like a, a netflix series that's like it's called something black something uh I can't, black, black mirror. mirror that's the one it makes me think i've watched like a couple of episodes from that and they're kind of this sort of they try and like do these sort of episodes that are very freaky and there is one on exercise like they earn points from like cycling or something it was yeah they, if you if you know any of that or well, i'm sure some of the listeners will i do i'm familiar with the show unfortunately a lot of hollywood's take on the coming so hollywood is, is a very good role or hollywood's all outdated term uh, just cinema in general and, and shows and media like that a lot of what they say about um the future and sort of warnings about what could go wrong are kind of good because you don't want to be like pollyanna kind of like oh like let's just have all the technology who cares about safety and long-term shit um you definitely don't want to do that but on the net balance most media is objectively way more negatively biased than any reality would have you think um almost no one predicted how good life was going to be today 40 years ago except for like ray kurzweil there's a reason he's the head of engineering at google so you know like most of the time shows like black mirror and shit like that they're just like insanely pessimistic yeah for one percent of a good reason and 99 percent not good reason most of the things that are coming in the future are on a net balance just really really good people talk about um the negative effects of social media and i've actually seen a couple of research articles lately that because like in 2015 everyone's like social media is fucking killing us all it, it's really bad for the brain now there's been a new spate of much better research that analyzed a bunch more research and said like actually social media People kind of interact on that like they do in real life, except they just talk a little bit more shit because they know they're not going to get physically beat up. And that's kind of about it. There's some differences in younger individuals and maybe bad. But people like, I don't know, like a few years ago, it was really fashionable to be like social media is toxic as fuck. And you get, remember the thing where people were like, people get addicted to social media. Like, first of all, people get addicted to everything. Second of all, Steve, <laughs> maybe this reflects my age. I tried TikTok. No more. <laughs> I enjoyed it auto scrolls. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, uh, it auto scrolls. I'm going to be TikToking for RP, not for myself anymore. The auto scroll, where like you see a stupid video of a fucking idiot dancing to a, a stupid song poorly, and then it ends and it just goes to the next one. I did like five seconds, then I was like, get the fuck out of my face. Like, I'm sure you have your moments with Instagram where you're like, scroll, 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 yeah. fuck this, throw the phone away. Like, social media, like, yeah, Facebook would love to get you addicted. It's much harder to do in real life. Can you imagine, like, your job is to design Facebook platforms and apps and experiences that get the user more engaged? And someone's like, yeah, man, Facebook's addictive. You're like, don't you fucking think we're trying? God damn it. We've been losing hundreds of thousands of dollars a day on the ads not working. We're not addictive enough. So I think a lot of people get caught up in that. Like the scare stories of like, oh, this sure. is the thing that will really fuck us up. Sometimes it's true. It has grains of truth, but usually we can navigate around them in such a way that overall things get much better. And it's easy to see history with a very rose-colored glasses. You know, people talk about like the golden age of bodybuilding. Where the fuck do you get supplements? First of all, Amazon doesn't exist. Also, the internet doesn't exist. In the 60s, supplement stores don't exist except in like two places in America. You get like a catalog where you buy literally like the way that they throw away from milk and cheese production or from cheese production and you like get a container of it. It's unflavored. Uh, there's no guarantee that it won't poison you because there's, there's zero incentive for them to give a fuck. And that's supplements. Ta-da. Like, oh yeah, the golden age. Like macros, there weren't even nutrition labels on food. <laughs> and you were like, oh yeah, Arnold really had it good. Like, what are you talking about? We live in by far the best time for bodybuilding. It's not even close. See, but just real quick, sorry to rant. Every single food almost at the grocery store 
has a label that pretty much nobody except for bodybuilders gives a fuck about. What a fucking miracle. Like food could easily have no labels at all, (laughs) except like a green, red, yellow system of what the government thinks is healthy. And it would just be all in the fucking dark. But that's not the case. It's it's fucking amazing. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, We have it way, way easier now. And yeah, people aspire to do it like they did back then. No shortcuts. It it makes no sense. (laughs) (laughs) uh so anyway we're coming we're just over an hour so i want to be respectful of your time i'll have to bring you back on because i have a bunch more questions that we can delve into and i'm sure you'll be back on very shortly i do want to just quickly tease that mike and some other people may be over in the uk in the next months uh we'll be putting that all out there very soon hopefully everything runs smoothly we don't get any kind of weird events uh cropping up but uh, you may have already seen some teasers going out there and we'll throw some more out there and I'm incredibly excited for that. It's been way too long since you've been over and we've been able to see one another in real life and have an event. It's going to be awesome. I miss seeing people. I miss doing seminars. And, well, Steve, I miss you and Pascal (laughs) and the whole gang. But also, I miss my favorite city in the world, which is London, England. Did you know that London is my favorite city? I think I didn't know it was necessarily your favorite. I knew it was up there. So that's, it's nice that it's the, your favorite. I, I get to be here every day. <laughs> I, own, I It's really amazing. But, you know, I also love the British accent, which you probably don't even realize as an accent. You're completely insane. People just sound like regular cunts to you, right? Um, I, as soon as I land and people are speaking that bullshit and that accent, I'm like, I was in paradise. I don't care what they're saying. It's just like I'm in Harry Potter. Amazing. <laughs> it's funny because I love the American accent. So when I've, what? I, whenever really? I'm here, I come over and I'm just, it, maybe it depends where I come, but uh, yeah, for the most part, I like, I like, I love it. I find it quite like soothing. Even like I, I phoned up the Las Vegas hotel before I was flying over and I was just like, oh, it's so nice speaking to you. Like, it's just weird. Really? I have the literally exact same thing about British. <laughs> Anytime a person, a British person speaks English specifically, I'm like, well, this person's brilliant. They have to be super smart. There's no way you have this accent and not be smart. Although I have learned over time to differentiate the various accents at the various like working class bullshit. I'm like, oh, this guy's a fucking idiot. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Barely understand what he's saying. But we have all that whole spectrum in the US as well. So, that's, tri- yeah. Steve, that's so trippy that I have never. Do you think that's relatively common or do you think you're a huge exception? Do people really like to hear the American you know, I, I don't know if I've heard it much, but I really, I don't know if it's because like I went to America when I was a child and I have really fond memories of being there. But whenever I hear an American accent, I'm just like, oh. like I had an American friend when I was at school and I just loved hearing him speak. I could just remember. It just made me feel good. <laughs> it also like, you know, most movies that are made, the big production ones are also American accent. Yeah. So I guess it's not something you have to go without for long. Like you can always just turn on the average Netflix show and but there's tons of British accent movies too. You know, yeah. you really have a problem if you're like, oh, I love the Kiwi accent. It's just, just not enough <laughs> yeah. media coming out of New Zealand. <laughs> no, fuck that accent. They're all annoying. They know it. <laughs> no, they're already kind as well. It's They're great. Uh, what was nice. I going to say? F- final thing. This was a question, but I'm, I don't want to keep going too long. No, no, are please. You I have time for one more question. Are you excited for, well, how did you find Boba Fett? Boba Fett. I keep calling it Boba. And are you what? excited for Obi-Wan Kenobi? Boba Fett was one of the most pleasing show experiences of my adult life. It's basically just no wrong answers. Um, as soon as the, have you seen, I don't want to give any spoilers. Have you seen it? I've seen the whole thing. Yeah. So like, as soon as like the Hutties twins showed up, I was like, we're in business. This can't possibly go downhill. <laughs> and it didn't. 
Um, I was a little bit upset that uh, Grogu chose not to continue his Jedi training because I was like, God, fucking damn it. With genetics like that, you just have to do it. But I think like maybe he'll just learn on his own or, you know, he's already like unreal overpowered. So who the fuck knows? So I was a tiny little whatever. But the whole thing is great. Amazing. And I'm trying not to think about Obi-Wan, the show, because any amount of time between when I think about it and when it's actually coming is just going to be more suffering than I'm interested <laughs> in. The pretending I forgot about it until it comes out and Crystal and I just watch the whole fucking thing over a two-day period. I can't help but watch. Well, I also like the weekly build-up between episodes, like yeah. something about it. I enjoy that. But also I've got it all over my Instagram feed is half Dragon Ball Z, half Star Wars, and the rest is bodybuilding. So it's just like I'll yeah. get all the spoilers immediately if I don't watch oh, it. Oh, yeah, you got to stay up. the fuck up. Because people already make memes off the shit. Like, what the yeah. fuck meme? The, oh, shit, that happened in the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, Steve, can we see the uh, can we see the ink? Oh, yeah, you can. You can oh, there you go. It's healing pretty well. Wow. All right. Can I ask you a question really quick? Yeah. Can you can you tell me the thought process behind? So I'll tell you straight up. You are the last person I ever expected to get a tattoo, <laughs> because you're so well mannered, and tattoos <laughs> are for criminals. Um, and two, um, out of all the Dragon Ball Z characters, because you're so warm hearted and so awesome and so nice, I never expected you of all characters to choose Majin Vegeta, who I had to explain to Crystal was the most evil good guy that has ever been maybe oh watch watch this this is what i have to deal with steve real quick quick break oh i'm trying to do a podcast and dildo (laughs) over here hi hi yes look it's steve hall from the uk yeah you're too dumb for that all right i'm trying to work and she just climbs up sorry tattoo yes and i love it but why over the last couple of years i'd more and more thought about getting one and I'd found that my rash, like my reason for not getting one was always that I'd be potentially like when I'm older, regret or whatever. And I found as I've got older, I've actually got more into the anime and Dragon Z. I'm just like, I'm not going to like, it's part of like why I love bodybuilding. It's just never going to yeah. leave me. So the kind of regret element fell away. And very strangely, because I am this kind of quite, I don't know if it's right to call me plain, but kind of like well-mannered, that sort of thing. I've always wanted something. Very nice. I wouldn't say you're plain, just very nice. <laughs> just nice. <laughs> I've always wanted something about me. I've been like, I don't know, get a weird haircut, get like a piercing or something. I'm just like, I just want to do something. I was like, I don't know, tattoos are like, and they just started growing on me a little bit. I was like, maybe, maybe I'll try that. And then also over the last like year, I'd started to like Vegeta a lot more. So I kind of understood him as an individual and where he was coming from and being the underdog, never giving up, always trying despite always failing to Goku. Because um, Goku, I was just a Goku fanboy completely all before this for the reasons you think I would be because I'm like, I see myself in him a little bit. Whereas sure, sure, sure. over the last years, not that I'm like hateful like Vegeta is, but I started seeing myself more in Vegeta and the way he came up and like Margin Vegeta one looks ridiculously cool and it was a very cool like segment but also just the fact like that he would do absolutely anything for more power and just would push himself beyond but still stay in control of the fucking margin thing was just like babidi couldn't take control yeah, even was though, like hey do this he's like nope i'll just yeah. take the power and tell you don't fuck yourself i was like yeah. yes so that's Steve. kind of how it came about and yeah just that i love the dragon ball z like the hair and everything i was just like that would make a fucking sick tattoo just like the the detail and design so yeah your just, tattoo artist did a really good job by the way yeah yeah i was very lucky 
That's awesome. That's how Steve, that whole story is great. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the criminal underground that <laughs> yeah. all tattoo people have. People are going to treat me differently now. I have to keep it sure. <laughs> Yeah, you'll have like, you know, you'll have like one penny less for the store. And they'll be like, nope, you can't buy this. You're like, it's just a penny. Like, nope, you're a fucking criminal. Get out of my store. <laughs> I've already thought about it because I'm receding. So I was like, uh, maybe I'll just shave my hair off. I was like, people would treat me differently, wouldn't they? I guess you you have it with so many aspects, though, like the hair, the body. I have a little bit more. Going. <laughs> Everything. Yeah, I've, I, I just assumed criminal until proven otherwise. It's generally higher. <laughs> Uh, you know, luckily, like in, in the actual world, I'm super overly nice and super polite to everyone, especially like older people and stuff. So I, I can I can diffuse that mostly. And I'm, you know, like a pretty verbose and can say intellectual things, which usually throws people off like crazy. They're expecting me to be like, I bet. <laughs> I'm like, do you guys have this item currently or is it a delivery schedule to be, you know, sent to the store later? And they're like, well, that's a lot of words really fast. Can you say that again? And I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. But no, no, Steve, you're you're not you're not this yet, my friend. You never will be. <laughs> You know, you're, you're like, if you were a criminal and you were in jail, you would be like in the, um, like tax evasion jail, you know, like nice beds, the guys aren't violent. I'm like that one guy in jail that's in his own underground chamber. They don't like, they, they have like the zapper collar to make sure he doesn't kill the people giving this food. That's where I am on their appearance criminality. So you're, you're one of the decent ones, Steve. Amazing. Guys, we'll, we'll leave this here and we'll do another episode very soon. And yeah, uh, is there anything you have to share, Mike, in terms of stuff at RP or is it just still pumping out the YouTube? Um, get Which over stuff? to Mike's current IG, which actually I think you've overtaken me now, which is good. You need to keep going. Okay. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, I still have 178K followers on my fucking doc, RP Dr. Mike thing. And I think it's just, I've added a few followers since I quit the fucking thing. I'm like, God, God. But my a new one is growing. The thing is, the old one is just so many strikes against it that if I get a single flag for anything, you just shut down the whole thing, which is like just bad business. So I had to make the new one. Anyway, Instagram, Dr. Mike is hell. YouTube, we're always putting out good shit. We do have some RP stuff in the works, but I can't talk about it until it's released. Because cool. if you talk about it before it's released, you know how that works. People are like, why isn't it here now, et cetera. For sure. Awesome. Guys, uh, definitely make sure to follow Mike over there. You better already be watching the YouTube channel. We'll make sure that's linked below and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. So I'm Steve Hall, founder of Revive Stronger and a coach of Revive Stronger. My name is Pascal Floor. I'm the co-owner of Revive Stronger and also a coach, of course. You Revive Stronger has probably been going solidly for three years, probably roughly about three years. Revive Stronger to me, it is becoming kind of my child, my foster child. It's the gathering and getting together of like-minded people. We've been expanding the coaching team, which is helping us help more people, uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another. A really cool community for people within our little niche is going to be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there. You can ask questions, but also you can, you can lock your journey. There's also going to be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics, discount of past seminar footage. 
we will log our journey as well. We'll start vlogging. We're gonna have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're gonna go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them. We kept them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets. I'm super excited to grow this community. The amount of value that we're gonna be delivering is huge. And I'd love you to be part of it. You will get so much out of that. I'll see you inside.